Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel according to John chapter 9. I'm going to start with verse 1. We're going to follow that through to the end of the chapter. We'll take it in in segments. I invite you now to listen to John chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, Jesus spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then Jesus anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you went to see your eye doctor to get a new pair of glasses, and while in the exam room, the doc spit into his hands and then pulled out a pail of thick, gritty mud, well, I'm pretty sure you would be out the door before he got those hands anywhere near your eyes. I know I would be. Jesus' miraculous healings don't follow the procedures and the protocols that we're used to. Jesus' unorthodox methods only reinforce that he is more than just a good doctor. Jesus is more than just a wise teacher. Jesus is something else altogether. Now, as with all of his miracles, Jesus' healing touch does more than just relieve physical suffering. Jesus uses these as teaching moments to show his disciples who he is and why he has come. You can even say that the disciples were the reason that this particular miracle took place at all. It was they who pointed out this poor blind beggar to Jesus just one among the many blind, lame, and sick people that they encountered every day. It was the disciples' question, who's to blame for this man's blindness? It was that question which Jesus seized upon to expose a deep misunderstanding about what makes a person spiritually blind and what makes a person able to see the power of God. So let's start with the disciples' question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now today, I think we'd be embarrassed for the person who asked that question. We now have a remarkable understanding of human genetics, how physical traits and variations pass from parents to their children. And we know that some of those things are benign. Things like eye and hair color, height and handedness. But others, well, other traits come with real challenges. We know of many diseases, even propensity towards certain addictions that can be traced through a family's genetics. But back then, 
the relationship between a child's health and physical form and that of their parents, it was understood as a purely spiritual connection. It was believed that if your parents had been unfaithful or disobedient to God, then the ill effect of their sin would appear in the lives of their children. Both Jeremiah and Ezekiel refer to a proverb common in their day. They write, The parents have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. You can find that in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 18. So the disciples wanted to know who was at fault for this blind man's condition, him or his parents. As we step back to look at the brokenness of this world in our day, I think we can ask the same question. Hey, Jesus, all of this suffering that we see around us, whose fault is it? Are the bad things that I suffer from, are they my own fault? Simply God's just punishment for my sin? Or is someone else to blame? We may even ask, isn't God himself responsible for some of this? Must not God, if, if not willingly, at least passively, allow these afflictions and this suffering that we see running rampant across the world? Doesn't that make some of this misery God's fault? Jesus' answer indicates that yes, God does have a hand in this, but not for the reasons that the disciples assume. This isn't anyone's fault, Jesus says. Rather, it happened so that the works of God might be displayed. And that work of God, Jesus says, it's going to happen right now. And so Jesus mixes dirt with his spit to make mud, and he smears it on the blind man's face, and he sends him to go and wash in a nearby pool. And as the man goes, he becomes a living demonstration of Jesus' mission and purpose. Jesus has come to turn darkness into light. And the light which conquers the darkness, the light which opens eyes to see, it is Jesus himself. As long as I am in the world, Jesus proclaims, I am the light of the world. God the Father sent Jesus the Son into our world so that we could clearly see God's love and God's grace and God's forever kingdom. Jesus is the window through which we behold. He is the door through which we enter the forever life of the kingdom of God. As John so beautifully says at the beginning of his gospel, Jesus, the eternal word of God, is the light that shines in the darkness, and no darkness can stand before him. Now you'd think that bringing sight to a man born blind, Jesus displaying that he is the light in a dark world, would be enough for one story. But that's not where this account ends. No, not even close. As we've seen before, Jesus and his miracles bring healing and they bring revelation. But they also generate conflict. So I'd ask you to continue reading with me from John chapter 9, verses 8 through 34. 
Listen now to the word of God. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, <clears throat> Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This miracle sets the stage for yet another conflict between Jesus and a group called the Pharisees. 
Now, like Jesus and the disciples, the Pharisees were Jews. But what set the Pharisees apart was their intensive study of the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and especially the first five books, the Torah, which means law. The Pharisees devoted their lives to meticulously keeping as many of God's laws and commands as humanly possible. In short, the Pharisees believed that God's laws served as the mediator between God and man. And the only way to stay in God's favor was keeping the law, every stroke of every letter. The Pharisees believed in a relationship with God that was very clear-cut. If you broke God's law, you suffered judgment. And that could certainly take the form of an accident or a loss or an illness. If you sinned, God punished you for it, and the consequences were sure and swift. Step on God's toes, make a mess of God's house, and you are going to pay for it. You break it, you buy it. You could imagine how fearful, how terrifying life must have been for the Pharisees. They took great pains. They went to the greatest possible lengths in order to keep themselves debt-free in God's eyes. And they took great pride. Pride in knowing that because of their knowledge, because of their effort, because of their discipline, and because of their self-restraint, they looked better in God's eyes than anybody else. That, of course, is why when they looked at Jesus, they were blind to Jesus' miracles and healing grace. No, all they could see when they looked at Jesus were his law-breaking offenses and ways. We see this right here in our text. John notes that Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath. In the eyes of the Pharisees, Jesus, by doing that, broke one of God's laws and not just a little one. No, Jesus, by healing on the Sabbath, broke one of the Ten Commandments that says, On the Sabbath you shall do no work. In the Pharisees' strict interpretation of this commandment, the simple act of mixing dirt and spit together, of smearing mud on someone else's face, even for the purpose of healing, was considered work. In their eyes, anyone with even a speck of respect or reverence for God wouldn't dare to commit such a trespass. No, in their eyes, Jesus stood self-condemned. He was an apostate, a blasphemer, a sinner of the most flagrant sort. Twice they hear the story of how Jesus healed this man's blindness, and yet twice they fail to see what really happened. They fail to see that it's not about the mud and the spit. It's not about the day or the time. It's not even about how many years the man had lived with his blindness. No, the Pharisees can't see who has done it. They can't see who is standing at the center of it all. All they can see is what Jesus did wrong. All they can focus on is Jesus' bold challenge to their strict life of sin prevention and judgment management. At last, the Pharisees kick the formerly blind man out of their little circle. They shun him. 
So great is their trust in their own efforts and their own knowledge, their own definition of how God works, that they cannot allow this living, breathing, seeing testimony to God's grace, this contradiction to their way of thinking, to even continue in their presence. Now, even for a man overjoyed at seeing the world around him for the first time, the Pharisees' rejection must have stung. But not to worry. Jesus gets the last word. We finish our reading with John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. Listen now to the word of God. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped Jesus. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near Jesus heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But not only does Jesus publicly contradict a Pharisee's ideas about the man and his parents, Jesus dares to label them as the ones who are spiritually blind. The surprise judgment waiting for the Pharisees and for us at this story's end is that it is those who think themselves best prepared, who believe themselves most righteous, most knowledgeable, most deserving of God's glory, who are the ones who are actually standing in the dark. In the end, we are left with a powerful example of God's purpose for coming in Jesus Christ. And it's not to point a finger of blame at the sins of the world, but rather to rescue the world from the power of sin, to bring light into our darkness, to be the relief and the rescue that none of us has the power to obtain on our own. And that is where we should focus. That our relationship with God is not based on scorekeeping, making up for sins with good deeds in order to keep the scales in our favor. It's not about deciphering some magic formula for praying enough or studying the Bible enough or being religious enough in order to keep bad things from happening to us. What God desires from us is what occurred between Jesus and the blind man. God wants us to allow him to touch us, especially where we are hurt and where we are vulnerable. God wants us to trust that Jesus' way is best, even when it sounds too good, too simple to be true. God wants us to share the news of what he's done for us, to let others know that it's by his hand, by his power that we are healed. God wants us to help others to see Jesus as we see him, as a merciful Savior, as a glorious Lord, as the King of all kings. Now even when we do these things, 
we can still expect some hard days and some difficult circumstances and our fair share of suffering for reasons that only God knows, perhaps only God himself can explain. Suffering is an unavoidable part of life in this world. But the good news is that suffering is not the only part and suffering is not the last part. For those who stand in the light of Christ, suffering and the consequences of sin, whether of our own making or imposed on us by others, all of that is transformed. In Christ, darkness turns to light. May God give us eyes to focus not on the problem of sin, not on the pain of suffering, but instead on their solution, Jesus the Christ. And may his love and grace chase the darkness of doubt and sin away. And may we be given eyes to see, eyes to recognize, and to love the work of his healing hands. In Jesus' name, amen.